0: We're going to take a deeper dive today into food allergy anxiety and depression with Emery Gewirtz, FACT's Director of Behavioral Health. Emery Gewirtz, a native of New Jersey, has been heavily involved in the food allergy community for over 10 years. Emery began her collaboration with FACT as a volunteer teen counselor for FACT's Camp Tag when it launched in 2010 and was a counselor every summer in our New Jersey location through 2018. She has also been a teen leader for Fax Teen Retreat for the past six years. Emery enthusiastically shares her stories and experiences of living as a young adult with food allergies. Topics she has covered include preparing for college, dating, dining out, and mental health. Emery has lived with anaphylactic food allergies to dairy, fish, shellfish, and peanuts her whole life and has a deep understanding of how to stay safe, healthy, and happy with whatever comes her way. Emory holds a Bachelor of Science in Public Health with a concentration in Health Communication from the College of New Jersey and a Master's of Arts in School Psychology from Rowan University. Since graduation, Emory has worked to develop health programs in inner-city schools, as well as she has held several small groups on mental health management. Emory is currently pursuing her Education Specialist degree to become a Certified School Psychologist. Emery, welcome back. We love having you on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Caroline. It's so good to be back. We're going to dive right into our first question. We know anxiety and depression is prevalent in the general population, but can you explain the difference between anxiety and depression? Absolutely. First, it's important,
1: though, to note that anxiety and depression get thrown around a lot. We hear those words a lot, sort of casually, and for good reasons, because at times we all experience depression or anxiety. Getting nervous, facing a high-stakes situation uh, can be anxiety or depression or feeling depressed. Something could upset us and we get sad. We've all felt anxiety and depression. But for true anxiety and depression, they can be life-altering. It can be impairing. It can be life-changing. So the difference here would be anxiety comes under a subset of anxiety disorders. And on the other hand, depression is a mood disorder. So they're different but they're related because they can trigger each other. Let me give you the proper definitions though, just so we could be all on the same page about what they truly mean. According to the Center for Disease Control or the CDC, depression is more than just a feeling of being down or having a bad day. When a sad mood lasts for a long time and interferes with normal everyday functioning, you may be depressed. The American Psychology Association defines anxiety as, an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. So you can see just from that, that these go beyond what we might say, I'm feeling anxious today, I'm feeling depressed. It's a lot more than that. But the importance of why we talk about them together is because for some people, anxiety can lead to avoidance and isolation which after being isolated, perhaps there's a lack of opportunity for pleasurable experiences or your mood gets lower because you're feeling so anxious that you're beginning to withdraw from normal everyday life. And for another person, when they're feeling down, when their mood is low, when they have already isolated first, they can develop anxiety as they attempt to re-engage with the world or when they attempt to do something that they haven't been able to do for a long time. And that can result in some of that nervousness. So sometimes... They correlate to each other, what we call comorbid. They come alongside each other. So anxiety and depression can exist separately, but they also can exist together.
0: Thank you for clarifying that difference. You know, often we confuse the two because we use them together in the same sentence. So Mm -hmm. really appreciate you clarifying that for us.
1: Yeah, it definitely goes beyond the casual use, which is why this is an important conversation.
0: Indeed, it very much is. So, Emory, Amelia Smith, FACS General Counsel and Vice President of Civil Rights, shared with us on a previous podcast that a student's right to a free and appropriate public education may be impacted by a child's anxiety rising up due to the allergens in the classroom. Can you help us better understand what is a food allergy-related anxiety? Absolutely. So
1: Amelia made an astute point, which is why now more than ever, we need to be addressing these topics as they come up. So, like I said before, anxiety is marked by intense worry. But usually, when it's anxiety, we're talking about a disproportionate amount of worry over something that might not happen. What's different about anxiety related to food allergies is that there's a very real risk that what they're afraid of—whether it's an anaphylactic reaction, whether it's being exposed to their allergen, whether it's being bullied because of their food allergies or whatever it is—there there is an increased risk of it happening because it's real. We're not talking about a perceived threat or perceived fear. This is a very real thing. So that's what makes food allergies tricky. And that's the exact verbiage I use. There's a perceived threat that's real, which is different than what marked anxiety is for the general population. And with that, trauma can come because we're talking about not just a fear We're not talking about this disproportionate fear. We're talking about a fear that really could be faced, where trauma can come out of. Trauma stems from having a childhood or even adult experience that can be a threat of death or perhaps something health-related happening or scary happening or even experiencing anaphylaxis can be marked as a trauma. So these fears do develop. And because of that, anxiety can actually be worse. Again, because we're looking at a real threat versus a perceived threat. Now again with that it can become particularly troubling for those that have been diagnosed with food allergies because some of the symptoms of anxiety such as trouble breathing or other physical symptoms because anxiety isn't just that worry it can go beyond that to those physical symptoms those symptoms can mirror that of an allergic reaction which further increases anxiety when you're exposed to a negative life event or an environmental stressor or events in childhood or early in adulthood it can lead to developing anxiety naturally. So this may include, as I said before, a bad or anaphylactic reaction. So because of experiencing that in childhood or young adulthood, the precursor for developing anxiety is already there. So there's already a higher likelihood that a child with a food allergy may develop it based on any sort of trauma or negative experiences surrounding food allergies that they experienced early on.
0: Thank you for discussing this with us. I know for myself, from my own experience with my children, they've had food allergy-related anxiety, walking into a classroom, seeing a bag of nuts on the desk and just blanking out, not hearing a word of what the teacher's saying. I think it's very important for parents to understand food allergy anxiety. So now that we discussed and explored the food allergy anxiety, can you explain what is a food allergy related depression and the impact it might have on a child or even an adult? Mm. So
1: looking at a depression related to food allergies might not be as common as anxiety, just given the trauma that can come with food allergies, as well as those symptoms that we talked about that sort of mirror anaphylaxis and the fact that the threat is in front of them at all times. But because of that, we previously talked about how they can be linked or triggers for each other. So talking about depression is also really important. Now, children with food allergies have a lot of risk factors that lead to depression, which is why there is some sort of correlation between the two. So risk factors of depression could include major life changes, perhaps like developing a food allergy, trauma, which we already talked about, perhaps an anaphylaxis reaction witnessing a sibling experience anaphylaxis, and or stress. And I mean, we're talking about caregivers here too, as well as teens or children. We all experience a higher rate of stress, managing food allergies, managing these risks, managing the classroom day to day. So with that, chronic health conditions also increase the likelihood of developing depression. So we're looking right here as food allergies. Food allergies are a chronic health condition. So with that, we have to just have that at the forefront of our mind that this could be something that happens. And for adolescents that develop depression, the symptoms actually start off usually as high levels of anxiety during childhood. So if you're a parent of a child that's experiencing high levels of anxiety, intervention's needed now. Or if you have a teen that currently has depression or is experiencing symptoms that you feel could potentially be depression, look back in your mind. Did they have high anxiety levels as, as a child? Did you portray as the parent anxiety at times? These are all increasing the likelihood that depression may come about. So really, when that's said, it's not really a surprise that oftentimes children and teens with food allergies have increased anxiety as well as can develop depression. But when we know these facts, we can be more equipped to address them so they don't have to escalate to a huge problem if we can nip it in the bud.
0: Okay, so based on nipping it in the bud, as a parent or caregiver or even an adult with food allergies, what are the signs and symptoms of a food allergy-related anxiety or depression?
1: That's an important question, Caroline, because when we do speak about saying nipping in the bud, I really do mean we need to be on the lookout for what the signs and symptoms are. And if you see it, then address it. So for anxiety, these things can be something like sweating, rapid heartbeat trouble breathing, panic attacks, stomach aches, headaches, other physical symptoms, or for a young child, frequently visiting the school nurse. So before I go on to the other symptoms, I want to pause right there. What do those symptoms sound like? To me, they sound like a food allergic reaction. And that's why anxiety can even increase when you're having a food allergic reaction or when you're just having plain anxiety it's going to seem like, it can seem like an allergic reaction to a food allergic child, which then in turn makes it worse. We see a lot of panic attacks come out of eating a food, not actually having an allergic reaction, but then it mirroring that, which then in turn, like I said, increases the anxiety in and of itself. But outside of those physical symptoms, we can also see anxiety portray itself as irritability or outbursts, restlessness. Sleep issues, which can include sleeping too much or not sleeping enough uncontrollable worry, which we've talked about a lot, recurring fears regarding everyday life tasks, whether that's eating at the cafeteria, going out with friends, uh, or something else, avoidance of activities. And this one is actually very interesting, perfectionist tendencies. Now depression symptoms look somewhat different. Depression would be persistent, sad, or empty moods, irritability, which overlaps with anxiety, Feelings of guilt, worthlessness, or helplessness, loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies and activities, decreased energy, fatigue, moving or talking more slowly than usual. Again, another one that overlaps with anxiety, feeling restless or having trouble sitting still, difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions. Again, just like anxiety, sleeping too much or too little, all those sleep issues, weight gain or weight loss. And then, of course, the most severe thoughts of death or suicide or suicide attempts.
0: So now that we've learned about the signs and symptoms, what are the next steps if we recognize any of these? So what would be a next step for a parent or caregiver? And then what would be a next step for an adult with food allergies?
1: In my opinion, the next step is always an open-minded conversation filled with compassion. And the key word here is open-minded. As a parent or caregiver, we can't place any blame on ourselves If our child comes to upset or or we're starting to see signs of depression or we think that they're retreating from things that they used to enjoy because of a newly developed anxiety within them, it's not our fault. It's not their fault. So we're not putting blame on any of this conversation and we're not going to go into this conversation with a feeling of guilt. Because as a parent or caregiver, whoever you are, going into a conversation unduly upset if your child is experiencing any of these symptoms, isn't going to help. Crying isn't going to help them. And it might even make them start to feel guilty that this is even a conversation that they're having or feel guilty that this isn't something they should be feeling. But, you know, here at FACT, we really believe all feelings are valid. And whether, you know, you're experiencing anxiety or depression because of food allergies or because of something else that need to be addressed. And luckily in our society today, we have a lot of paths, whether it's counseling or Or, some other like a school intervention that really can help your child get back on track. And on the flip side, though being over emotional can make sense because you care so much for your child, we know it doesn't help. There's also the other side of the coin, which is minimizing the situation or pretending the situation is less significant than it is. That won't help either. We need to meet our child where it's at. And even if you think that the anxiety is silly, like perhaps they have a favorite safe restaurant that you've gone to every week for the past 10 years and now suddenly your child doesn't feel comfortable eating at it, you can't minimize it by saying, we've always ate there, you've always been safe. You need to address the root, which is the anxiety, and how are we gonna deal with that? So minimizing won't help the situation. What you can do is show up for your child, sit with them, breathe with them, and afterwards, whatever path you feel is right for you and your child, and that if if your child is older, a path that they feel right for them, you can go on to seek counseling with a mental health clinician, And you can even seek out counselors that have experience working with people with food allergies and their unique needs.
0: As someone who's grown up with food allergies, have you experienced any of the anxiety or depression? Absolutely, Caroline.
1: And I think many that do. For those uh, that don't know, I have anaphylactic food allergies to all dairy, fish, shellfish, peanuts, and various oral allergies to fruits and vegetables. And there was a year when I was in college, actually a year and a half, I had a food allergic, well, I had an anaphylactic reaction at a at a restaurant that I was eating at. And for the next year and a half, I refused to eat out at restaurants. and I And I felt guilty about it because going out to eat was always something that we had done as a family. We had addressed my allergies really well. We had a plan. My sister has food allergies. And my parents did a wonderful job equipping me to be able to advocate for myself when dining out but for that whole year and a half I wouldn't go out and when I did I hid it from my family that I would order something and not eat it and and that went on for a year and a half and I had to address it because That's not a way to live life And there's a difference between if you're setting a boundary and eating out isn't something you want to do but because food is so integral to culture We really all want to become advocates, whether you're an adult living with food allergies or whether you're a teen or child or you're raising someone up. You want them to be able to have a normal as life as possible, and it is possible. But my mom was great, and I give her a lot of credit because she addressed it when she eventually realized, and I had developed a close relationship with my mom that I felt comfortable talking to her about it. And she helped me. She asked me if I wanted to go to counseling. She asked me what we could do. And for me, I just needed a little bit more time. And it worked out. But I've had panic attacks related to ingesting a, a carrot one time. And I felt like I was having allergic reaction, even though I was not. And I started having a panic attack. And like I said, symptoms of anxiety. I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I, my, my heart rate was racing. And my mom said, Emery, you need to sit down and we're gonna breathe. And my mom did breathing exercise with me and she didn't minimize the situation. She didn't tell me I needed to get over it. I didn't eat something I was allergic to. She sat with me while I experienced the anxiety because she knew that I had anaphylactic reactions in the past. She knew that the fear was real to me and she sat with me until I was ready to move on from that. And that's what we need to do. My mom didn't make me feel guilty. She didn't tell me that, it wasn't real. Even though it wasn't, she knew I was experiencing anxiety and she helped me get through it. And I give her a lot of credit for that. And if you're a parent out there, that's exactly the way you want to go. Educate yourself about anxiety, educate yourself about breathing techniques or relaxation techniques, and you'll be able to do the same for your child.
0: All right. So you mentioned the breathing techniques and relaxation techniques. Do you have any favorites you could share with us?
1: Oh, yes. So a wonderful resource that we have during this modern age is YouTube. And if you want to Google, you can literally type in relaxation techniques or breathing techniques and a bunch of things will come out. But one of my favorite things, it's a relaxation technique that releases stress. So you start with your toes and you press them as hard as you can into the ground. You go from the bottom of your body to the top of your body. Then as much as you can do in your, in your calves and thighs, squeeze them together for a couple seconds, then relax. Then squeeze in your stomach. Relax. Squeeze in your fists. Relax. Squeeze up your shoulders. Relax. Then your nose. Then your eyebrows. Relax. And soon your whole body is soothed. Another thing you can do is four, six, six breaths, which is you breathe in for four seconds, hold for six seconds, and then release the air slowly for six seconds. And do that several times And it really works. They sound silly for someone that maybe doesn't do relaxation techniques, doesn't do breathing techniques. For a younger child, we say things like, hold out your hands in front of you and pretend you're blowing on soup or pretend you're blowing a bubble. These little things so that children can visualize. And hey, they work for adults too if you're a visual learner.
0: Thank you. I am a visual learner. So thank you. I'm going to (laughs) be standing around with my hands out in front of me. I love it. That was a great tip. Thank you. Emery, it appears the area of behavioral health surrounding food allergies is growing. I first heard about it 18 years ago, and then the conversation disappeared until I heard about it again just last year from FACT. So how can we help keep this important conversation moving forward?
1: That's a great question, and it's as simple as it is complex. So it's up to all of us. To end the stigma, it's up to all of us. We have to continue the conversation ourselves. A conversation disappears because we stop having it. FACT's committed to keep this conversation going. If you're a parent right now and you have an eight-year-old child that hasn't yet experienced anxiety or depression, I hope they never do. But by the time they're 16, if they do, this conversation still needs to be around. But It's up to us to continue to have it. And I believe that, at fact, that's what we're committed to doing, This conversation isn't going anywhere anytime soon, because it's always going to be relevant. And the stigma can be broken if we all are willing to talk about our own experiences that don't get brought up, whether it's because we have shame or guilt or fear that other people will judge us about them. But the stigma will end with this podcast. The stigma will end in your home if you allow emotions to be something talked about, the stigma can end in your school if your child not only becomes an advocate of food allergies, but also an advocate of mental health and on and on and on. So it's up to all of us.
0: I could not agree more. I am a huge proponent of seeking therapy and seeking mental health care. And I agree, just removing the stigma, this is as part of what we do. We go to the doctor, you know, we take care of our health and we should absolutely have these conversations and remove the stigma and keep going. So I personally am really appreciating this conversation today with you.
1: Oh, uh, Me too, Caroline, always.
0: Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners on the topic of food allergy, anxiety, and depression?
1: Sure. So I just want to end with... These things aren't bad, aren't bad by any means, but they need to be managed. So I just want to go over a couple things that we can do to manage anxiety and depression for whatever it looks like for you. Or on the other hand, doing these things regularly can even prevent perhaps anxiety and depression from ever coming into your life. So one of those things that we talk about it a lot here, in fact, would be to incorporate self-care into your and your family's routine. So whatever that looks like for you, whether that's exercising a little bit more, having a piece of allergen-free chocolate at night, listening to your favorite music. Do something that makes you happy because, again, those are those pleasurable hobbies or those pleasurable activities that keeps that joy in our life. Uh, Regular exercise, healthy eating, and getting adequate sleep, whether you know it or not, can affect developing depression, can affect anxiety. Specifically, sleep here is a really big one that goes overlooked. People often say, I can get by in five or six hours. But a real adult human needs seven to nine hours, and children and teens need even more than that. But start with yourself if you're a caregiver or a parent listening, because we need to also set the example of sleep. And you need to be on your game too if you're going to start encouraging sleep in others. Make sure that your child always has a safe way to interact with their friends and opportunity to build strong relationships. Having strong relationships, friendships, will actually be what they call a protective factor later in life or depression. And protective factor is what, What things do you have in place to make sure that you're set up for success, that you're not going to fall into a spiral, that you're going to have people to support you around you if you do? And then lastly, I mentioned it just quite before, but reduce the stigma. Because if these things do come up, again, they're not bad. They just need to be managed. But if we can have an open discussion, Caroline, you've mentioned in podcasts past that you have family meetings to talk about emotions and how everybody's doing and stress levels. That needs to be a that needs to be a regular situation in all households. Again, if we address things before they come up, we'll be more equipped to address them when they do.
0: Well, once again, Emery wise words of wisdom are being shared we appreciate you being on the show today. And as always, I always look forward to speaking to you and having these really interesting and powerful conversations. So thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you so much. Until next time.
0: Excellent. We'll see you soon. Thank you all for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, share and review our podcast and be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.